welcome to Koshian Cast, the sports podcast where we keep podcasting even if we get pushed down the stairs. My my name is Matt, and joining me today is a special guest, Matt. Hello. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Uh, are you prepared for week three of the summer season? You know, the week that covers all sports anime from July sixteenth to July twenty second. That week. I- yeah, I am, I think. Uh, I'm ready to cover Fastest Finger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll go into it, but, um, a, surpri- a surprising standout in a relatively dull week. Uh, right. But with, with that I, exciting... I, Oh, I contend otherwise. I say it has been a very strange week, but not all in a good way. Yeah, but... you're right, you're right. It hasn't been dull. Um, and we'll, right. we'll get into it. Um, so... We have the the last part of our question of the week from Matt L, um, but we're actually going to get back to that uh, in the future. Uh, I want to do a little prep for it. And so in the meantime, uh, Matt K, my co-host, you have uh, agreed to offer me a question of the week. Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. So you already did the husbando question. I so did. I, yeah, I have to ask Matt, what's your favorite scene from what we've watched this season? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Or wow. from Koshian Cast. That felt like something straight out of Fastest Finger first. You thought the question was going to go one way, <laughs> but actually it was a different parallel. Um, my favorite scene. Favorite scene. Wow. That's a good question. Um, yeah, that's why I asked it. Thanks. Good. <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that is tough off the top. Do you have one off the top of your head because you thought uh, of it already? I have, there are two that I'm contending with. Uh, I think I'm going to go, actually, there's one in Yuri on Ice, actually, that has always been the standout one. And it's not one I think a lot of people tend to talk about. Uh, Is it JJ's first routine? No, it is not. Oh, that's the wrong answer then, but okay. Well, yeah, I know, I know, I know. We're JJ fanboys here, but uh, my favorite scene is probably when... Pitch it is actually like going out there and absolutely nailing his routine. Mm-hmm. And throughout the course of this, we are cutting back to Yuri, who is basically having like a panic attack. And what I love about that scene is just the intensity of the editing there because it's like it's it's a very positive scene, or like it's supposed to be because you know, Pitch it is out there making. A history for his country because you know mm-hmm. he's gone out there and is performing this like so- like performing this routine to this song that has become you know so ingrained in their culture you know kind of finally bringing glory uh, and then you have but it's like Yuri's paranoia has been built and like you know it's always been established that you know he's always had an issue with nerves uh, you know and just having this constant cut back and forth to like the audience just going nuts while Yuri is just in the midst of like like breaking down it's like there's just so much tension during that scene like that like for anything that we've watched uh there are other series i think i've watched that i'd say are i like more than yuri on ice as a whole but i think that scene has been like the standout sequence for me in like everything that we've covered Hmm. that is a good one um yeah I'm I'm torn between a couple. I think I'll just go with with my gut. The first one I could think of, uh, which is from Haikyuu season three, right? All, the old standby, um, 
which, uh, and it's a scene that we talked about probably to death at the time when the 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 cheering sections from the two schools, yeah, shouting each other down and trying to compete. Um, and so I, I won't go into all the details, but just the execution of how you feel caught up with one side going back and forth and back and forth, and then you see sort of like a dominance um, from one side over the other based on tradition and identity, and it really right. speaks to the different values and expectations that the two schools are bringing in. And, like, I've never seen a cheerleading sequence that has given as much backstory and (laughs) has fleshed out the characterization and expectations of uh those taking part as well as that one has um and so just because it did something i've never seen before um i'd have to do that um honorable mention for mr smith eating breakfast (laughs) so it's funny because that was the other scene i was debating in my i had a feeling that was what you were gonna say (laughs) yeah the the haiku one not the mr smith one yeah 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 but the uh my oh the haiku one oh i thought you were gonna talk about mr smith that's why i meant no 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 the runner-up for me was your haiku scene the other one i had one other haiku scene that may have been my runner-up if you hadn't if you had had not mentioned that uh, which was the introduction to all the characters in IQ in that first episode with, like, all the animation. Kind uh-huh. of, like, everybody's individual animation yeah, yeah, yeah. during that scene. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, do you want to go into, uh, like, kick off our episode talking about uh, Welcome to the Ballroom? No, I don't. I quit. Um, I have decided <laughs> from this point forward that you're going to talk about Welcome to the Ballroom. And I'll, right. I'll talk about Dive if I must. <laughs> i've decided this uh yeah you did yeah we didn't talk about this before the show or anything yeah right yeah, we did <laughs> oh but yeah okay. yeah we did but uh anyway i'm gonna be covering welcome to the ballroom episode three okay so Thank you. this is <laughs> so anyway uh i'm so this episode is about the dance competition that was hinted at at the end of last episode uh, it's mainly about Hyodo's and Shizuka's, uh, Shizuku's r- routine. And what we discover is that... So they pretty much nail their Latin portion of it. and But in the middle, in between that and I think it's the classic routine. The standard. Yeah, standard routine. Uh, Hyodo uh, collapses uh, down the stairs and cannot make it to the ballroom. And so, uh, Fujita ends up filling in for Hyodo, and like any other good sports show, uh, Fujita has a very awkward introduction to his competitive scene, but still sort of makes his mark by performing, by basically nailing Hyodo's routine, uh, by memory, while also adding in some, like, some steps of his own. And the episode ends, you know, they don't do very well, but... Uh, they at least make it through the uh, through the routine, and then Hyodo confronts Fujita for basically stealing his routine. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what to think about Welcome to the Ball. Yeah, there's a reason I quit because I don't even know how to talk about it. Like on one level, I observed the scenes that transpired in front of my eyes. Um, But on another level, I don't really understand why any of these things are happening. Yeah, kind of. Like, so, are they trying to pass Fujita off as Hyodo? And, like... Oh, like, 
yeah are, are they trying to actually have him impersonate him or i i don't know that wasn't explained well whether they're just having right. him stand in for him or if he's competing for himself yeah, that's what I didn't understand. Like, is this, like, a team thing? Like, you know, are they representing their studio and so they're allowed a sub-in? Or are they, like... Or are they trying to pass him off as Hyodo? Because he clearly... Because they don't do anything with his hair, even. Yeah, to, like, I, make I it... can't imagine they are because, like, he's a very right. known quantity, you know? Right. So, like, they have to know. But and then at the same time, why is that allowed? Yeah. Like, that's what I don't understand about this. Um, so you had an observation as well about this episode that we were discussing ahead of time, uh, about, like, what was going on with, on with Hyodo? Oh, well, so, again, it wasn't so much an observation as a question, because, right. as I alluded in the joke at the beginning of the episode, it wasn't clear whether Iwakuma, the sort of, quote-unquote, rival character in this dance, uh, had pushed Hyodo down the stairs, or whether he had just seen Hyodo fall. Because he clearly saw Hyodo at the bottom of the stairs, but it wasn't very clear how he got there. I have a feeling that you're supposed to read that as like, oh, big gorilla man pushed him down the stairs because he's jealous. Uh, but of course that's not what actually happened, because aside from the way that Sengoku talks about him, you have no reason to believe that he's malicious. Right. Um, the other thing I was thinking of was that there is... I actually do like a little bit of this implication here. This was actually one of the stronger moments of the episode. When uh, when Fujita and Sengoku are looking around for Hyodo, uh, they're digging through his things. And uh, Hyodo finds his athletic tape. No, in Sengoku the, uh, in finds his, his athletic tape. Yeah, he finds Hyodo's athletic tape yeah. in, the, uh, in the suitcase. And after that, he... Because it's when he finds that that he asks Fujita... To fill in for him. I actually like that a lot because there's a lot... There's much more going on with Hyodo than we realize. Uh, we we kind of got that implication before when we had that weird bathroom sequence where we, like, Fujita could see him applying the tape. Uh, but what I like about that is that there was just this sort of unspoken understanding from Sengoku. Kind of like this, oh, crud. Yeah. Like, is, is, this, is this coming back again? Yeah. Uh, like... And so I actually like that, but yeah, I hadn't even thought about the idea that uh, uh, Iwakuma could have actually been the one to push him down the stairs. I think that's what you were supposed to not be sure, but okay. a, again, I think it's one of those things that will be resolved in the first five minutes of next week's episode. Right. Um, I think in general, Hyodo was kind of the interesting character throughout. Because I, I actually kind of like the... Se like, it was kind of a weird sequence, but I did like that, like, uh, Fujita kind of accidentally, like, walked in on him in the uh, the bathroom stall yeah. as he was changing out his athletic tape. Because I liked... I liked how they handled that... Con because Fujita bursts into the bathroom because he's trying to, like, stay out of confrontation from these guys who are basically trash-talking Hyodo. And you kind of, like, what I like about that sequence is that you get to watch Hyodo as the sequence is going out. And he doesn't say anything, and he ha but he has this pained expression on his face, like, but it's something that he's used to, mm -hmm. almost. And, yeah. and, again, like, I really like that implication. I like that he also gets jealous at the end. He's like, dude, what the heck is your problem? You took my routine, you know? Well, he doesn't say, you took my routine. All you see is him flashing back to Fujita, um, 
smiling while he dances, right. and then he says, give it back. It's not actually clear what it is that he's talking right. about. So, you're right. I hadn't actually thought about when he says give it back. I hadn't thought that he meant, you know, his steps. Um, right. My assumption when he said give it back was like, you know, give, give it's my right to smile on the dance floor. You don't have the, you haven't earned the right to smile with my dance um. partner. You give that right back to me. Okay, okay. I, I think I see what you're saying there. Um, but just by the way, because everybody was kind of remarking about how, like, Fujita yeah. was using, like, Kyoto's uh, routine without ever even, like, practicing it. Uh, which, again, that's kind of a weird ability he has, well, I guess. So yeah, and it is, it's funny, too, because at the beginning of the episode, Fujita's dancing with one of his coaches, and he's clearly, like, very average to below average. Like, he's executing the steps, but there's no finesse, no real skill with it. Um, but as soon as he's with Shizuku, he's, like, suddenly the man, you know? Right. So it's because, oh, I can only dance with her because I did my shadow projection and I dreamed of her or whatever, and it kind of gets weird fast for me. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about that, too. Like, Fujita's a real problem with this series, from what I've seen, just because, like, I don't understand his motivation well enough. I understand what his goal is. He wants, you know, he wants more confidence. I don't understand why Shizuku is so intertwined with that. Because Shizuku is not somebody he knows. Yeah. Like, at all. Yeah, until, like, like a month ago. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, like, we are introduced to Shizuku just by her walking in, like, she was, they passed one another, and then for some reason, Fujita decided to just follow her. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, I, I don't understand why this is supposed to be a big character moment for Fujita to, like, dance with Shizuku. Like, why this is so... Oh, because it's once in a lifetime that you get to dance with another person's partner. Right. And okay, I, like, Sengoku. Wait, yeah, and it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, I kind of get the sense that they're trying to be like, you know, this is supposed to be like the budding of, like, their new romance or whatever. You know, this is kind of where Fujita gets to be, like, you know, finally gets to be with this girl of his dreams. But it's like... Has she really been, like... Yeah. Like, can, can I tell you how it felt watching it? It felt like I had missed six episodes. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, like, I was like, okay, I understand the sequence of events, but I don't feel like any of these should be happening in episode three. Right. Or at the very least, like, if it does happen in episode three, they would have built it up a little bit yeah. more. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they would have done something. Anyway, it felt very unearned on, on yeah. the whole. Um, before we move on, uh, one, one other thing that I'm just going to bring up and leave it there. Uh, Sengoku tore off Shizuku's dress at one <sighs> Yeah. It was yeah. really gross and uncomfortable. Yeah, kind of. Because it was funny, too, because I was actually getting a kick of Sengoku. I actually wrote that down in my notes where it was like, you know, he's like, you know, he introduces, like, you know, because that's during the introduction of Iwakuma, where it's like, yeah. uh, he's like, oh, you know, it's like, hey, number two. And it's like, dude, what are you doing? He's a champion. He's like, I can beat this loser. And it's like, oh, Sengoku, you're so fun. And then, you know, he's there tormenting Hyodo, kind of like rubbing him. It's like, oh, Sengoku. And then he grabs uh, Shizuku by the dress and completely tears it off where she has to cover up her chest. And it's like, this isn't fun anymore. Yeah, like, that's real bad. Uh, like, why, why, I just don't know for whom that's, uh, wack, wacky Sengoku is him 
actively trying to disrobe a minor. Um, right. But, uh, so, again, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I, I just whole... don't know what they would... would the, fi- the fixation on uh, right. boobs is... Well, because I... I think the gag is supposed to be that Sengoku just doesn't care. He's not thinking about it because he gets so heated. Yeah. So, you know, he just kind of grabs her by the dress and, he, you know, he's so strong that, you know, he kind of rips it off of her almost. But it's like, yeah. it's still kind of like, guys, this is creepy. Yeah, but, like, yeah, clearly, you know, it wasn't designed to be principally about Sengoku. It was designed to be about Shizuku's chest. Just like last week when we had a pointless scene of right. walking in on Shizuku in her bra. It's like, right. okay, well, you can screen cap this, I guess. <laughs> um, so it, It's such a shame, too, because I, I do want to like this series, and I think that there's a lot that's, that is interesting yeah. about it, but they keep doing all this really weird, like... I feel like they're like they're trying to go with a minimalist approach to the storytelling, and I don't think that's like necessarily a bad thing. I appreciate that, but they're still not like putting in the work to establish things in the first place. Yeah. And then you know they have all that you know creepy stuff that they've been doing, you know that recurring recurring creepy thing stuff, and you know it's like uh, okay. But anyway, uh, do you want to move on to our next one? Dive. Yeah, uh, a show in which you know, middle school and high school boys prance around in Speedos the whole time and is somehow less creepy. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, Dive Episode 3 focuses on a couple things. Mostly it's it's about Tomo being challenged um, to perform a three and a half forward somersault dive uh, to qualify for a training camp to get ready for the Olympic qualifiers. Um, And this just sort of uh, capitalizes on the, the ongoing storyline of uh, Asaki, the coach, the the coach um, giving him more attention than his peers. Right. So there's a lot of back and forth where his peers sort of separate from him, and he doesn't totally understand why his friends aren't being aren't want, don't want to hang out with him anymore, and they're kind of jealous of the attention. And then the the secondary storyline is on Akitsu, the wild man from the north who uh, is kind of unimpressed by everyone's diving, and he says that everyone uh, is playing it too safe and they're not doing real diving. Uh, And so you get some of his development in his home life. And then lastly, um, it's a little... I guess it's a little bit about Yoichi and sort of setting up the next episode with his background. Right. But, yeah, what, what what did you think? Uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, my favorite moment in this episode was actually pretty close to the beginning. Uh, there's this moment where Yoichi is trying to be, like, the punk teenager. Uh, and, you know, he's asking Asaki, it's just like, well, what are you doing this for? Like, you know, what are your motivations? Yeah, like, exactly. You're, you're, try- you're just trying to, like, look good for your job and, like, make an us do the work. You know? Right. And it's just like, and she's just like, Psh. Yeah, what's your point? You want to go to the Olympics, don't you? Like, let's just use each other, okay? Yeah. And it's like, I kind of appreciated that moment of pragmatism. My only complaint was that I didn't appreciate that it was coming from Yoichi of all characters. That didn't seem like that... Like, I like the idea of that scene, but I felt like that should have been one of Tomo's friends. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, like probably like Maruyama. Well, I uh, think the only reason they did that is they're trying. They were trying to set up Yuichi's backstory, right? Oh, because okay. what it seemed to me because they they had a flashback, which I didn't mention, but they had a flashback right. of how when he was younger, he got injured while diving. It looked like he probably hit his head. Right. While, you know, on a dive. Like, he, he hit the platform on the way down, which obviously is pretty traumatic. And right. so, for a while, he just didn't want to dive. And he told his dad that he didn't he didn't want to dive anymore. And his dad kind of guilt-tripped him. He said that, hey, you know, everyone's pretty, sh- you know, shooken up because of your fall. And if you give up diving, um, they probably will too, and it'll destroy the diving club. And you don't want to destroy MDC, do you? Um, which is effectively how it comes across. And so he really only agrees to go back because he doesn't want to mess up his dad's job. Right. Um, so I think that was coming from, he's like, I, I keep hearing this. People keep telling me to save MDC. Why do I have to be the one to save MDC? Right. And that's fair, but I guess my issue is that he's already stated that he really wants to go to the Olympics anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. regardless. You're right. So I, I guess that's why it's like, I don't, it's like, I understand, like, that's what they're doing for the character, and I do appreciate that, you know, I do think that's alright, but the problem is, my issue is that the, he's already stated that, you know, that is his goal anyway, so I thought, especially with uh, somebody like Maruyama or Ohira, or Ohira? You know, who are already kind of, like, giving Tomo flack for, you know, getting all the attention from uh, Asaki. Like, it seems like that would have been, like, you know, they're more punk, like, oh, like, what do you care? Like, you don't care about any of us. And it's like, whatever, I don't, it's like, yeah, those are my reasons, what? You want to fight about it? (laughs) Like, it's like, you all are gaining something from this, what do you care what my reasons are? Yeah. Um, I did actually, I like the stuff with Tomo as well. I do... It is interesting. I do appreciate this sort of dynamic with, uh, you know, Tomo having to come into understanding what it takes to become the best. It is going to have to, it is going to require him to have, you know, he's going to have to make some sacrifices. You know, not everybody is going to understand what he's going for. Yeah, and what I like about that is that even people who ostensibly have the same goal as him don't support him. You know, yeah, because like in theory, all these guys are trying to get to the Olympics. Uh, he's the only one who actually believes he has a shot, and he's the only one who's putting in the work and getting the attention. I think my favorite line was uh, one of his friends. I don't remember which one said, "Must be nice to have your own personal coach." Uh, right, and he's just like, "What? No, I, I don't." She just <laughs> like gave me some <laughs> tips. Uh, and they're like, yeah, whatever, you know. So it's this cynicism and resentment over anyone getting praise for working hard and, like, feeling like, oh, it's not my fault that I didn't work hard. It's your fault because you get special attention. Right, exactly. Because, you know, that's such a teenager thing to do. Yeah. Like, you know, they're trying to deflect blame from themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, there may be a point in there as well where, you know, she is kind of showering. Like, she pretty much pulled Tomo, uh, Tomo aside and is just like, you listen to me, like, you're the one here who has talent. Like, you're the one who I'm really yeah. staking my hopes in. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I do, they do have a point, but I, I like that sort of natural dynamic that's occurring there. But I also like the fact that she treated all three of them equally until right. she went on that trip. And when she got back, Tomo was the only one who had actually completed his, right. like, individual training. 
Um, and so that was when she just said, like, okay, well, I don't care about... If you guys can't work hard without being told to, I'm not going to give you attention. Right, it's like, what's the point? And so, and because she reacted like that, they're blaming him. You know? Right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I do like it because it feels very true to life. Um, I also like the fact that, you know, partly because of that... You know, the only person who's still willing to relate and talk to him is his girlfriend, who he right. kind of doesn't understand or relate to. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, very true to junior high as well. Yeah, he's just like... Like, I, I, I love during their little date, date, their, like, little picnic date. I, I love that there's that scene because they're out in the park and they, uh, like, Tomo sees, like, adults kissing and he has this sort of... Ah! Yeah, he's just like, like oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? Oh my gosh, what do I do? And they're both really uncomfortable, and then she's just like, uh, let's just eat lunch. And he's like, yeah, that I lunch. can do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny, too, because I think you're supposed to see that she's also done a little bit of makeup as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, clearly she you know, pre- she prepped and he didn't. Right, exactly. Again, much like very true to life. And, again, and I think that's what I am appreciating more about Dive. I would probably say it's my second pick of the season mm-hmm. weirdly enough and i kind of wasn't expecting that but yeah, no i wasn't expecting the you know the how things have shifted at all um but we can go ahead and shift to our uh, current favorite of the season fastest finger first yeah all right yeah i mean there's 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 always time to talk about fastest finger first so, <laughs> fastest finger first episode three uh this is basically the end of the newcomers tournament um so, uh, it begins with Fukami agreeing to share her lunch. Everyone freaks out because a girl's sharing their lunch with her. Um, they, <laughs> uh, begin the, the second to last round. I believe it's like a six or eight person round. It's called the fastest finger board where one person buzzes. That ends the question. And then everyone has the chance to write the answer on a board. The buzzer gets more points. Um, and so Koshiyama starts to figure out how the questions are structured, uh, but he runs into the problem where he's actually overthinking how complicated the questions are going to be. Um, and so he gives answers that are too well-developed and that, you know, rely on too <laughs> specialized knowledge when, like, the more obvious answer is actually the one the question is going for. So right. he ends up not passing that round because because he's going for these advanced answers. Uh, But he does learn a lot about question construction in the process. Um, Right. In the final round, he ends up accidentally interrupting a question because he realizes the answer, even though uh, nobody else does. And because of that, Mercuria sees him sort of as a rival and demands uh, Mikiura, I'm sorry, Mikiura sees him as right. a rival and it, uh, insists that he keep competing in Quiz Club along with everyone else insisting on it. Right. So I I think what I like about the show is that there it, it sort of satisfyingly meets the, like, a lot of the different genres of, like, the sort of different styles you can find within sports anime. It, it manages to find a happy balance between a lot of them. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it feels like it's acknowledging some of the silliness of them while still being sincere about how they portray it. Uh, like, I really lo- what I really loved was when uh, uh, Koshiyama accidentally inter- interrupts the question and, like, spit and, like, you know, speaks out about it. 
And, you know, uh, Sasajima, you know, being immensely, like, strict and serious about it, he's just like, no, I apologize. Like, I, I improperly, like, trained him. I need to go, like, we will leave now. Like, I apologize for the inconvenience. And, like, the, the quiz host is like, dude, it's, it's cool. You, you don't actually have to do that. But he's like, no, 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 I, we're going. And I guess what I like about that, because it's pointing out, it's like, okay, they're clearly taking this a little too seriously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, at the same time, I, I feel like it's being genuine when Sasajima is pull, pulls him aside and is just like, I need to, like, you know, I am your pre like, I'm the president of this club, I'm going to need to train you on the etiquette. Like, I'm going to need to go over more and more etiquette with you. And, I don't know, I, I kind of liked that exchange. Yeah. I, I also like, I, I felt moved in the, the sports anime way you get moved by, like you know, passion for victory and competition kind of move. Right. Uh, when he talked about, like, you, have, you haven't you have earned the right to answer the question. Right. You know, and the, this whole narrative of be, when, you, when you earn the right to answer the question, then you can say whatever you want. But, like, until you don't, you get, don't get to pretend that you're competing. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it was a genuine mistake by Koshiyama. I'm sure he wasn't really, like, thinking of it yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, he because he understood immediately, like, oh, shoot. Like, I... Like, he understood immediately, like, what did I just do? Like, mm -hmm. I was not controlling myself. But, like, you know, there is that sort of, like... Again, you know, the, these are these are nerds who are hanging out in a classroom after, you know... On the weekend, afterwards. yeah. Yeah, on the weekend, you know, basically quizzing each other. But, you know, there is that sort of, like... There's a respect for it. There is a genuine love for it. Can I, I can I say like. something that I didn't really key in on until this episode was how funny it is that the host uses a microphone and a speaker system? <laughs> like, I never thought about how goofy that was, but, like, just because they want to impersonate, like, the real quiz shows, right. they're using a mic, even though they're sitting in a classroom with, like, 15 right. people in it. Right, and, and like... Japanese classrooms are not very big. Yeah, exa <laughs> like, exactly. No one would have trouble hearing you, but they just, they want to have the feeling like they're doing it just like the real thing, as it were. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and it's that sort of down, down to earth, like, interpretation of the sport that I really do like. Yeah. Um, it's so weird that Dive and Fastest <laughs> Finger First are down to earth. Right, like, because they really, because I was kind of expecting Fastest Finger to be like more the comedy this season. Oh yeah, uh, like I was not. I think it's it the to... most standard like shonen battle series we have. Right, at least this season. I, yeah, I thought no, you were I know that... not not ever, but this season. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it, it's the one that feels like it's like it's the most feels... traditional. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. One other thing I did enjoy in this episode, uh, I did kind of... I like how we're also seeing how the game can potentially evolve. Uh, because the second round is not about just buzzing in first and answering the question. You know, everybody gets a chance to answer the question. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, whoever buzzes in first gets more points. You know, again, standard. this is standard quiz show rules. But I, what I like about it is that it shows how there are different ways that the sport can be played. Mm -hmm. Uh and how we can, you know, it, it, it's kind of exciting because it's like, okay, we have a lot of different uh, possibilities for the show for how this is going to continue on. You know, there, it's always going to have the ability to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. I also like they had a conversation before um, the second round with Sasajima where Koshiyama was a little down that he didn't, he didn't know the classics. Like, he didn't know these standard trivia questions. 
Um, and Sasajima's like, are you worried that this, that quiz shows are basically just karuta, where you just have to, ma- <laughs> you know, you just have to match the phrase right. as soon as you hear the first syllable with what the answer right. is? Um, and he was like, okay, that's the thing. Karuta has 100 phrases. There are thousands of classic questions, right. and they can be phrased differently every time. Um, so what what I like about that is like yeah part of this is about memorizing you know right. standard answers but that's not all it is there's a lot of creativity involved right you know it, it feels like it's a very fleshed out sport by the way for anybody who doesn't know uh car who anybody who doesn't know what Karta is go watch Chihaya Furu it's a fantastic series uh, that'll pretty much explain the sport itself but it's basically Japanese poetry memorization yeah competitive uh, poetry memorization yes. Matt um, yes and. Yeah, and, and it never hurts to boost uh, Chihaya Furu. It's really one of the right. best sports series out there. Um, it, it's certainly the best Karata series. Right. Now, if you want to talk about the worst soccer series... <laughs> oh! Uh, well, that's going a little far with days in existence, but... Yeah. Uh, anyway, do you mind if I just talk about Clean Freak Aoyama? I kind of do mind, but I feel like we have to do it anyway. <laughs> Okay, so this is episode three. Uh, this is covering uh, the next game. Uh, it's kind of the very first game of the preliminary tournament, I think. Something yeah, along it's, the lines. The, it's the first round of the inner high. Yeah, basically. Uh, and what happens, so the boys are out uh, walking around after practice, and they get lured into a family restaurant to go eat. They run into uh, Takechi, and... Uh, from uh, Oshigami Minami, and they he enters in an eating contest with one of the other members of the team, and that doesn't really go anywhere. And then it's the day of the uh, of the prelim <laughs> tournament. <laughs> yep. And while they're there, uh, Aoyama gets lured into a into the uh, tika, uh, into the into their uh, locker room. Yeah, Takeda. Yeah, Takeda. He gets lured into the Takeda, Takeda's locker room, uh, and one of the players' girlfriends, Kana, uh, locks him in there. Locks him up in there, and so Takeda is kind of thrashing uh, their high school. Eventually, uh, Aoyama escapes because Mocha tracks him down. Uh, he she basically finds him locked up in the locker room, and then uh, they have the game. Uh, Aoyama gets pushed down, but then in the last five minutes, he's able to get, like, a final goal against them, and they win the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, Matt, so, you want to talk about this? I mean, no. Uh, like, <laughs> so, we, we can... Perhaps the most baffling thing about this episode was the fact that the first third of the show devolved into an impromptu eating contest. Right. Uh, where they ate every item on the menu of a family restaurant. Which, first off, how are these high school boys affording to purchase every item on the menu? <laughs> um, but second, like, clearly that's physically impossible. Right. I, I guess that's hilarious. That, like, the fat guy ate a lot? And that he was able to beat Takechi? Like, I want to point out something as well. 
I saw him pop up and I groaned. Not just because it's like, uh, not just because his character is obnoxious, even though he probably had one of the few laughs of the first episode, uh-huh. but a, a comedy anime is sort of dependent on the diversity of its jokes. Yeah, it's just the same dude much... every episode. Like, he's, right. been, he's it... been in every episode, and in every episode, right. he's pulled up his shirt at random interludes and been like, here's my abs! And they're right. like, yeah, we get it. It's like, if this is a gag series, like, you know, you need to spice up the gags. You need to come up with more wacky characters. We are three episodes in, and we are already bringing back somebody from the first episode. Well, he was in the second episode, too. Was he in the second episode? Yeah, because he, he was with when all the fanboys descended to try and sniff his towel. Oh, okay. He, so he the, showed he up, a... and he was like, this will be valuable research on Aoyama. And then he pulled up his shirt. Oh, okay. See, I missed that. Yeah, you uh... probably blacked out for part of it. The problem with the sequence, too, uh, this eating contest, is that it's so pointless. Yeah. It's uh, like, like it's like aggressively uninteresting. Right. It's like, oh, now they're just going to start eating for a while. And it's like, is there anything to be gained from this? So I guess what it goes into is it talks about Takechi's obsession a little bit more with Aoyama about why he wants him on the team. But it's like, you're a gag character. Yeah. Like, I don't care about your story. <laughs> I know. This show really can't make up its mind because it simultaneously wants to have these, like, chibi gag moments uh right and also have everyone be impressed at how good at soccer aoyama is right so one other thing i wanted to bring up as well so why was so kana locks aoyama in their locker room right uh-huh. why did she start stripping she, so she took off her shirt so that if he broke out she would run out like that and claim that he'd assaulted her Oh, okay. See, I miss that yeah. a little bit. I, which is funny, too, because it's like, you know, I should have caught that. Yeah. And he I mean, managed to spend what appeared to be over an hour lying on the ground because he was freaked out that the room was unclean and that the door was locked because he's also claustrophobic. Right. Um, how did... <sighs> yeah. And then he managed to get out because his... Uh, uh, Android stalker Goto Mocha, Mocha, right. whatever you want to call her, uh, broke in and uh, set him free. And then somehow he managed to score four goals in 15 minutes. Uh, because even though he got dirty, and they thought that getting him dirty would make him deactivate his powers, which it did, once, right. once they hit the last five minutes, his pursuit of victory let, allowed him to overcome... <sighs> He, the fact that he's a germaphobe. Because that's the way mental health works. <sighs> I I gave the epi- first episode too much credit. <laughs> yeah, you gave him a pass on that one because you're like, surely this is a one-time thing and it's just showing that he likes soccer. Which, okay, I, I was willing to go with you. But no, they're clearly no. coming back to the fact that he has a very literal five-minute rule. Where right. within, if there's five minutes left, he is unaffected by his mental illness. And that's what's so bizarre about it. Because so, like, I thought what that was in that first episode, what they were setting up, was that in the last five minutes, of, so long as he doesn't get dirty in that last five minutes, he can basically mentally stave off his issues. Yeah. 
Uh, so, like, long enough because he can, you know, assure himself, like, okay, I can go take a shower immediately after this. I can go get myself cleaned up and everything. Yeah. Uh, but they undercut that because he gets knocked down uh-huh. and, you know, he gets dirty. And what happens? He just slows down for a while. You know, he just becomes completely unaffected until, like you said, it's that last five minutes where yeah. suddenly he, he just, just goes turns Super on. Saiyan. Yeah. So it's like, so literally, it's just a five more. It's. It's a five-minute marker, is what it is. Like, for him to be, like, perfect soccer player. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness, I hate the series. Oh, you want to also talk about the fact that Tana somehow turned out to be a fangirl of Aoyama at the very yeah, end? Yeah, so, like, he gets busted out. Uh, a random person who she's never met threatens to beat her in the head with a baseball bat. And then she watches him play soccer and... And decides that she's obsessed with Aoyama because of how well he plays soccer? It wasn't clear. No. Um, I, I really hope she's not a recurring character. Admittedly, I really hope every character in this show <laughs> isn't recurring and that it just starts over with a new cast next week. It's not going to. You know that. I know. But, like, I... this is, like, the Fukuwara mask of this season. I can dream, even if I know it's not true. <laughs> And I just, I don't understand how this story is going to progress. Because I feel like it's we are not, already, it, we're already reaching for plot. And we are on the third episode. I feel like this was a manga that, like the original manga in Shonen Jump, it was written as a one-off, like, because they do one-off chapters every now and then. Like, they have, like, yeah. a pilot chapter. And, like, this was, like, a one-off gag manga that somebody wrote. And it, got, it somehow turned out to be really popular, and he got bugged into doing it. Like, you know, he got bu- you know he got talked into doing it as a longer series, because for whatever reason, that one, that one-off gag manga introduction of it was really well. And he didn't know what he was getting into, because he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know what we're doing watching it, but I do know that I like Big Wind-Up. So I'm going to talk about that instead. <laughs> Please, by all means. Alright, so this is a Big Wind-Up episode... 16 um starts off in the uh top of the second i'm sorry about that um top top (laughs) top of the second inning um abe strikes out they're able to get a couple runners on base nishiura is uh but uh tajima gets struck out again because he still can't figure out junta's sinker um in the bottom of the second uh Basically, Mahashi and Abe are able to figure out some sequences that are throwing off um, the Tosei hitters, and they're able to strike out multiple hitters. Uh, In the top of the third, um, Abe is batting ninth, so he goes up first. He ends up getting struck out, uh, and ultimately they're, they're not able to score. And in the bottom of the third, Mahashi gets three more strikeouts. So he now has something like seven strikeouts. Right. Uh, in three innings, which is crazy, uh, and he's freaking out about it. At the same time, um, Abe is concerned that Mahashi might have a fever, or that he's overexerting himself, or that his pace is going too fast. So even though Mahashi's pitching well, Abe's really concerned about his ability to maintain it. Right. So uh, this was a this was a fine episode. Um, I, this was mostly setup. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, uh, exactly. This was this was a workmanlike episode. Is that how I describe it? <laughs> no, it's just it's just putting in the work for some real payoff. Right. 
Um, one thing I thought was interesting. Uh, so, at the end of the episode, we also get an introduction of another person in Mahashi's life. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name, uh, uh, Rory. What's her name? Rory, Rory. Uh, who is his cousin. Uh, and what we find out about her... What, what was interesting to me about that is that we get a flashback of when she was talking to Mihashi. And what I thought was interesting was them showing off the house mm-hmm. that she was in. Because we've seen what Mahashi's place is like. And, it, you know, it's a nice, quaint little place out in, like, out in the woods. Uh, but where, where Rory lives is, like, it's... For Japan, that's almost, like, a mansion-sized, yeah. like, house. And we've it's already been implied... Or, like, mentioned a little bit that Mahashi's family comes from money. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess what I thought was interesting about that, because she's his cousin, there is definitely a family dynamic there. Like, she's definitely on the side of the family that still has curried favor with the, uh, with, with whoever the main, like, the head of the entire household is, essentially. Yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting. There's a lot that's been unsaid, because... You know, at some point, he mentions that, uh, Mahashi mentions that his parents eloped. Um, right. And that, you know, he grew up in sort of a pretty tiny apartment, and they live in a bigger place now. It's not really clear why. Right. Yeah, because the way I took that was that he, like, she, like, his mother was not a lot, was basically not forgiven at first. And it sound, what it sounded like was that they had managed to uh, at least reconcile a little bit with the rest of the family. Yeah. Uh, somehow. And I guess what I found interesting with the introduction of Rory is that, again, I I, I am weirdly finding the Hashi's, like, background, like, more and more interesting with, like, every episode, which is funny because it's like, he doesn't really give off the impression of a terribly complex character mm-hmm. or one with, a, like, a terribly deep history. Like, you could have gotten away with just having him be, like, you know, oh, you know, he was a shy guy... Who just, you know, he nobody understood what his talent really was, and then finally somebody discovered it. But it's like, there's more to his history than that. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, it, was, it was good to see her. It was good to see uh, the setup of Abe. Even though they're pitching well, he feels like something's gonna about to go wrong, and Mahachi's right. about to get overwhelmed. Um, Tose is also, like, really concerned because they can't figure out how to hit Mahashi. And they're like, okay, we're way too good to be getting beaten by a freshman. Like, who is this guy? How can he possibly be doing this? Right. Um, And the coach is kind of flabbergasted because he's like, I don't even know what he's doing. I can't give advice. I just have to sit here stoically because I don't know what's going on. Right, because we kind of saw him starting to ease up on the other players at that point. Because he's just sort of like, okay, well, don't mess up again, but, like, I'm going to forgive you this time. Exactly. Don't he you stopped, dare mess up he again. He stopped threatening them because, literally, he doesn't know what they should be doing. Right. Which is interesting, too, because it's like, they had mentioned that earlier in the season, as or earlier in the series as well, how, uh, you know, people with slow balls aren't really found at the high school level terribly mm-hmm. often. And they mentioned, it's like, we've only trained with fastballs, like... Because, yeah, like, other types of pitchers, like, complicated pitching like that is not going to be found, mm-hmm. like, at that low, ele- or, like, you know, that low, quote-unquote, a level. Sure. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting that, like, like yeah, Tose, like, even a big school like Tose is not prepared for that sort of, like, you'd think, like, a big school like Tose would prepare for pretty much anything. And, yeah, they completely do not, like, they were completely caught off guard. You know, it, it's funny, I'll just make sort of a side comment about um, professional baseball. You you do right. actually see this come up in the pros sometimes, because 
um, you know, it's so, so, so difficult to get to the top tier of professional baseball in, you know, in the MLB in the U.S. and Canada that most pitchers who make it are guys who are, one, enormous, and two, can throw incredibly hard. So they're, right. you know, you, it's, it's, it's e- relatively easy to stand out if you can throw incredibly hard. It's very difficult to stand out if you don't throw hard, but you can throw very precise and nuanced pitches with a good sequencing. And so that's what Mahashi does. So, like, what you see in the pro level is if someone is throwing, like, an 88-mile-per-hour fastball, which is slow for the pros, um, if they're throwing at that that speed a fastball, but they're able to, like, command their breaking balls really well and they have really good control, then they're actually just as effective, if not even more effective, than a harder-throwing pitcher. Um, so I think that's a little bit of what you're seeing here is, one, they're just people aren't exposed to that style of pitching and two like control is able to trick people a lot more than uh velocity is because velocity it's just you you just have to catch up to it like if you can catch up to if you can swing fast enough you can catch up to velocity but you can be tricked by a control pitcher right exactly um, well, speaking of control, uh, I can't control how much I enjoy Encouragement of Climb. Uh, would you like to tell me about the last two episodes? You can't control how much you kind of enjoy the yeah, series? Yeah, I can't, I can't, control, can't control how fine I think it is. <laughs> I can't control my mild enjoyment of the series. <laughs> I can't control how, uh, pleasant it sometimes seems. <laughs> Well, all right. So we are covering episode 23 and 24 of Encouragement of Climb. Uh, this episode is generally... A, the first episode is generally about their uh, their final day on Mount Tanagawa. And generally, it, they celebrate Kakona's birthday that day. Uh, and they actually they bring out her birthday cake and it's very nice. Hanoka joins them for the, uh, for the celebration too. And there's just a sort of oncoming, like, sort of bittersweet dread almost between Hinata and Aoi, because they don't know how they're going to confront each other, uh, you know, what they're going to keep doing. And what do you know, they find out that they're still going to be friends afterwards. Yeah. Uh, they, we have a very elongated sequence, a very nice elongated sequence of them going through Mount Tanagawa. And uh, at the very end, they hold hands and they're like, yeah, we're going to keep doing this for a while now. And then, which felt like it should have been the last episode, but they got one more episode in. Uh, this is about a fight Aoi and Hanada have. And they are basically completely at odds with one another. And uh, it's they're going to be having a fireworks festival in their hometown. Uh, Aoi invited uh, Hanoka to come visit for the uh, fireworks festival. Uh, and she's showing Hanoka around town. And throughout, uh, throughout the entirety of her guidance... She keeps bringing up Hinata and all the things she did with Hinata. Uh, we, uh, Hinata is also apparently stalking them a little bit. And then when the fireworks festival comes, like, they all get together. Aoi and Hinata finally resolve, and they have a lovely time. And at the end of the episode, we don't even know what they ended up fighting about. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. The episode 24 was pretty unnecessary. Right. Um, it basically just, it served as sort of a reflection on everything that had happened earlier. Right. Um, it wasn't a it wasn't a clip episode per se, but it was sort of right. a summation of the journey, um, and 
Yeah, it what 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 was funny was so on episode twenty three, you know, they were fretting about like, oh, what are we gonna do when our promise is fulfilled? And what they conclude is that they're just gonna have to make new promises. And they're gonna have to right. promise to do more things together. So they can like, okay. they can fulfill more promises. And I'm like, Alright. It seems like a pretty belabored way to go through I like being <laughs> your friend. Um Right. But what, I mean, what I, the one thing I just let me finish. The one thing that made me laugh was the very beginning of episode twenty four. Away says, "Our next promise is to go see fireworks." So, like <laughs> now, are you just referring to your plans as promises? <laughs> like, like our promise as friend for our friendship is to like go get lunch tomorrow. Um, is is that really what you need to do to maintain your friendship that you talk about your promises? Right. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I get what they're going for because it's like how do you maintain a friendship? Okay, you got to you know, you got to put in work for it, okay? Mm-hmm. You got to make plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got to you know, you got to vow, okay, we're going to set out a plan for, you know, next time we're going to do things. And so, our yeah. next plan is going to be the fireworks fan- festival. And it's like, okay, that would be fine if you just said it like that, but no, it's our eternal promise yeah, yeah, yeah. that we have made to one another. Yeah, it's a, it's the same way that we're only friends because we plan slash promise to do Koshian casting. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> um, how do you feel about the addition of Hanoka to the main cast now? I mean, she's kind of boring, right? Yeah, uh, no, that was kind of my takeaway. <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't really know what she's there for, uh, because her function is to be like a quiet observer. So I think, right. like, she all she contributes is like reflecting the friendship of those four girls back at them, right, and being appreciated for her like quiet positivity. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't really get it. I guess, I mean, I guess what I take away from her is that she is basically what Aoi was when the series started. Oh. Uh, because Except she was she's kinda... actually an independent person who likes mountain climbing. Right, yeah. But, I mean, you know, she's still, you know, she's still very shy and, you know, she wants to spend time with people and Aoi is now passing along. You know, we have a lot of ham-fisted, uh, you know, girls passing on their hobby to somebody else mm-hmm. in these sorts of shows. I, I kind of, I guess, appreciate the fact that it's a little bit more understated in this one. Yeah. Like, it, it's not something that they have to keep drawing attention to. It's just something that sort of happened. True. Uh, but, yeah, it, as far as her dynamic to the rest of the group goes, like, as far as that goes, she doesn't really add anything at all, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, I agree. Um, admittedly, I'm kind of, like, fully Team Kaede at this point. Where, like, I I think Aoi and Hinata, like, Hinata's good, Aoi's fine, Kokona, I could do without, but (laughs) Kaede is the only one who's, like, I really, I feel like she actually brings something unique and interesting to the table as often as not. Um, Right. That's fair. I I think the problem is that Aoi and Hinata, like, they were in, they were interesting as a, as a, like, you know, as a friend group at first, but then they kind of just started reiterating the same mm-hmm. points about them over and over. Whereas Kaede, you know, we kept get learning a little bit something more about her. So, that's fair. I agree. But, so, all, all in all, do you feel like it kind of went out with a whimper? 
A little bit, but this was also a series that didn't exactly begin with a bang either. So that's, that's true. It didn't. It wasn't known for its explosive action scenes. Um, right. the, the scenery that they had in episode twenty-three, which might as well have been, you know, the conclusion, was pretty good. I, I liked. Yeah. I liked seeing the sunrise on Tanagawa. Um, and again, if if all this series does is do excellent portrayals of nature and hiking, it's done its job because it yeah. it did do that. Um, so yes, I, yes, I don't want to. I don't want to take away from that. No, yeah, definitely. And what I wanted to say about that as well is, I guess what I like about that too is that they managed to make it feel very distinct from Mount Fuji while still making it look impressive. Because with mm-hmm. Mount Fuji, they were constantly emphasizing its grandeur, its sort of its sort of scale and the scope of the world. Yeah. Whereas in this one, it's like the bright. This time they went with brighter colors for Mount Tanagawa because it's a very grassy area. Yeah. You know, they're kind of portraying the sort of natural beauty of the area. Maybe it's not the biggest area, but you know, it's got, you know, there's a lot interesting inside of it. Uh, and so, you know, I, you know, for something that seems so rudimentary as mountains, I appreciate how they managed to make them feel distinct. I agree. Um, so thank you matt for joining me on this distinct episode thank you thank you uh awkward conversation enders aside uh we will (laughs) (laughs) we will uh pick up soon we're probably gonna uh release an episode with a a more full reflection on encouragement of climb uh, in the next week or so uh but until then talk to you later bye our logo design is by james ratcliffe The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.